Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back, listeners. We are going to finish up the topic that we started. This is show number, what is this, four or five on this particular? It is show part five. All right, so the topic is five proven steps to become rich and stay rich. This is one of the topics that all of you should be very paying very close attention to. Uh, we are picking up literally thousands of listeners and downloads. So if you are listening to part, uh, this part five and had not listened to the four, first four parts, I strongly encourage you to do so. Just go to timandjulieharris.com. Go to Stitcher if you're on an Android phone. You can go to Google Play, obviously, or, or just hop on over to iTunes and listen to the first four shows we did on this particular topic because, really, this is one of the most important topics uh, that we have ever presented, though it is very non-real estate topic, <laughs> or how do I say it? This is not something you'd hear anybody else ever presenting at any real estate event ever, and never will ever, ever. again. <laughs> ever. In the history ever. of ever. ever. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this this morning, Julie, when I was on a coaching call. Mm-hmm. Why is it that nobody else, like when speakers, and it just doesn't matter who, you hoist up on stage, the topics they choose to uh, uh, talk on, speak on, present on, coach on, are the ones that they're the most familiar with, right? They're mm-hmm. the ones they feel naturally. most comfortable sure. with. Right, naturally, duh, right? So if none of them are talking about how to you know, basically get rich, is it just because they're not interested in it or just because they don't know how to do it or just because they themselves have never done it? It's all those things, isn't it? So when you're at a real estate event and you're noticing that nobody talks about actual honest-to-God wealth building, it's probably because they haven't done it, but they have done uh, – it, it, they produce a lot of videos for Instagram. <laughs> you know? They have built a Facebook following, so they'll talk to the cows come home about that stuff, but they're not actually talking to you about the real most important aspect of being in business – which is where you become rich, where your money works for you, and you learn, and you know where you no longer have to work for your money. So I want you to go back and listen to the first few shows we did on this very topic because it's going to absolutely positively fill in the blanks as we get into the weeds of what we're talking about today. And this is the last of this sequence, so make sure you're taking great notes. All right, so let me find where we're at, Julie. Wealth Building Course folks. Okay, here it is. I think, Julie, we left off. We started point four yesterday. I know we did. Yep, like here it is. Step four, okay. I think. Uh, no, I think we're on step five. All right. Yes. All right. So I know mm-hmm. we kind of talked about this yesterday, but I'll go. I'll go over this quick, and um, you might want to mute yourself. Step five: create non-transactional dependent cash flow. Goal is seven ways to cover your person monthly overhead, each independent of the other. I did talk about this yesterday, but let's go over this really quick. So the idea is if you can visualize a bicycle wheel with a bunch of different spokes. And those of you who are familiar with our coaching know that this is the same analogy we use when it comes to lead generation. You should have seven different spokes for your lead generation. And I'll make this even very simple for you guys to understand. In um, Real Estate Treasure Map, which you can get a free copy of, it's one of the books we wrote a long time ago, but it's our fill-in-the-blank business plan, definitely download it. It's perfectly 100% free, no strings attached. Just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. Text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. One of the things we teach you 
in the real estate treasure map is that you need ultimately seven individual spokes on your lead generation wheel. And the way to think of it is if you have a bicycle wheel with seven different spokes, and you know, don't overanalyze what I'm saying, just stay with me on this point. If your wheel is rolling down the road and it hits a bump or a rock in the road, the wheel is going to have enough structural rigidity, it's not going to collapse, everything's going to be fine. But if you have one spoke or two spokes, then the wheel is going to collapse. Even a little pebble in the road is going to cause you to tumble off your bike because the wheel is going to fold in over on itself, right? And a quick story, I had a coaching client, um, she called me after having had laryngitis for what worked out to be months on end. Now, why did her laryngitis last that long? Because her only spoke she had was over-the-phone prospecting, which we're enormous proponents of, but she had no other spokes. So all of her spokes were over-the-phone prospecting. She gets laryngitis because that's the only source of business she has. She doesn't listen to the doctor. She keeps t- calling people. Her voice gets worse. She loses her voice. I think she ended up voice. with mono, Tim, if I recall this story correctly. I think it got worse and worse from there. So the work, it got worse to the point where she could not talk, and she was out without her voice for the better part of a month or something like that. Now, it was after that that she called and she hired us as her, uh, as her coach because it wasn't until she had that horrible experience did she realize what we had been saying about having multiple sources of income, multiple lead generation source. Not until then did she realize the validity of what we were saying because she had to experience it. You know, the old saying goes, a smart man learns from his mistakes, or a woman learns from his mistakes or her mistakes. The brilliant man or woman learns from the mistakes of others. Well, she finally put herself in the second category opposed to the first one. And then we worked on her other lead generation spokes. But please don't be confused, listeners. The first spokes that you should always be adding to your wheel are definitely the proactive ones, like over-the-phone prospecting. Well, the same analogy carries through when you're talking about wealth creation. If all your income and your only source of, you know, essentially a way to pay your bills and keep your lights on is through transactional income, you're kind of setting yourself up for a lot of unnecessary stress. Now, I realize you don't know how to go about creating multiple sources of income. We certainly didn't when we started years ago. Um, but that's the, what we're going to get to today. So your goal is to have seven independent. They can be codependent, but not to the point where if, for example, your real estate sales slow, all your other spokes slow too or come to a halt. Do you understand? So for those of you who are rationalizing you have a team and you make money from mortgage and you make money from title and you make money from your buyer's agents, you make money. No, that's not what we're talking about. Your real estate bucket is one spoke because it's all dependent on one thing, your real estate business. Business. Do you understanding what I'm saying? So if one thing fails, and the analogy with this gal, her voice failed, well, if she had other sources of business, she would have been fine, but she didn't. And if over time, through our coaching, we helped her create other spokes. You guys getting what I'm saying here? This is really important you understand this concept, because nobody else explains this to you, okay? So write this stuff down. So ideas. We always like to start with the ones that are easiest to build. The ones that are easiest to build are going to be buying single-family homes. Buying single-family homes where the big institutional investors are buying, that's the easy button. The Black Rocks and the Americans Home for Rent. You guys can Google these. Buy where they're buying. We talked about that yesterday. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail on that. Just go to yesterday's podcast and listen. Um, then what you want to do is take from the profit you have from – and by the way, we understand the math behind, behind buying multi, multifamilies. I had some emails about this. We understand multifamilies and apartment buildings and five doors and ten doors and all the rest of it. But here's the problem ultimately with multifamily, or multifamily properties. They, generally speaking, are not as desirable. They, generally speaking, have higher turnover. They, generally speaking, even though – 
uh, this might sound uh, counterintuitive, are going to be more expensive properties to own. Because, yes, you might have one roof on your four-family, but it's a big-ass roof. You guys getting what I'm saying here? And generally speaking, you're going to have four furnaces, not one. So for most people, it's easy just to buy single-family houses. Now, here's the funny thing. For the longest time, everybody said buying single-family houses was stupid. You should never buy you buy apartment buildings. Blah, 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 blah. But what are these big institutional investors buying? They're not buying multis. They're buying single-family houses. What is Wall Street buying? Single-family houses. Why? Because those are the best investments in America. Here's the simple question for you. If you have to rent a house or if you have to rent a place to live and you have a choice between a single-family house and an apartment, what are you going to choose? The single-family house. Some people start in small apartments, but as soon as you have, you know, I don't know, a dog, a cat, a wife, a husband, you know what I'm saying, a hamster, you're probably going to have to move to a single-family house because the apartment is too small. You guys are understanding the concept. Now, I realize in some parts of the country you don't have the option, but generally speaking, what I'm telling you uh, carries through. If you're in, like, New York City or San Francisco and markets like that, I'll suggest that you don't buy in your markets because they're too expensive and you can't get them to cash flow. And I'm going to give you the basic parameters of how the math works in a single-family house, okay? I'm going to go through this quick. Generally speaking, in this market, you can still buy a single-family house for about 175 grand in most parts of the country um, and have it rent out pretty easily and stay rented. And again, if you want to know where those markets are, listen to yesterday's podcast. When you purchase a property like that, now we're going to assume you're paying cash for it because your interest rates and all your debt service stuff, that's going to make the math a little bit hard to do because it's you know, an individualized thing. But generally speaking, if you buy a $175,000 house in this market, you're going to be able to rent it out for, you know, depending on all the variables, but let's say $1,350 to $1,450 a month. After taxes and whatnot, you're going to be netting around. Julie, you think my math is right? Still, you're going to be netting around maybe a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a month. Does that sound about right? You might be a little low on taxes with with all of the appreciation lately, but uh, it's pretty close. Yeah, I think it's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. So, so that means that if you spend $175,000 on a house, you're going to make, let's just say conservatively, $1,000 a month in net income. So if your goal is to have, uh, let's say, $10,000 a month, you're going to need approximately $1.75 million in cash over time to buy 10 houses that are going to uh, produce uh, you know, the equivalent of $10,000. That's basically how the math is going to work. Now, I'm going to tell you that most of you will never have enough money to do that. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to you know, essentially start Start socking away money to buy rental properties and then essentially have the tenants pay them off. But here's what sucks about that plan, okay? This is the middle-class ways of getting rich when they're old plan. I don't like not having money until I'm old, okay? And neither do you. So the problem with that plan is ultimately you're, you put them on 30-year mortgages, the tenants pay them off and say, you know, 20 years because you roll your positive cash flow and you don't ever take any profit from it. You still have to cover the overhead when it's vacant. You still have to deal with, even if you have property managers, you still have to manage it. The whole thing is not what you'd call uh, without work. It is definitely involving work, and you don't have any real cash flow on it. The equivalent of $1,000 ingested for inflation in you know, 30 years when it's paid off, I mean, that kind of sucks. And now, it's a great forced long-term savings plan. And rental properties are awesome because you have, you, you have appreciation, depreciation, and you have cash flow. I mean, appreciation you can't count on, but depreciation and uh, cash flow are things you should be able to count on, right? So these are some interesting little you know, things you need to look at and research yourself. But at the, more, at the end of the day, 
I'm going to confess to you, and Julie and I own dozens and dozens of rental properties. If I had to do it all over again, I don't think I would have – I mean, we would have bought some just because, you know, but I don't think we would have bought any. And I'm going to tell you guys why in a second. Okay, and I know that's going to be a big, like, what the hell is Tim saying? Yes, I'm telling you right now. If I had to do it all over again, if I were in my 20s again, and Julie and I were deciding, like, what we want our future to be, you know, essentially what our plan to be rich was, we would probably wouldn't have purchased rental properties because they're such an enormous pain in the ass. And remember, I said $175,000 in cash to make 1000 How many of you are going to be able to save 175000 in cash to buy a house you're going to have to earn in most markets. You're going to have to earn like two hundred and thirty thousand before taxes to save the hundred and seventy-five. You guys getting what I'm saying here? It's not a realistic plan for ninety-nine percent of everyone out there. And so, what do you guys do? A lot of you will run to the crap properties that are out there, and those are even worse because then you're going to have tons of vacancies. Okay, so we're going to get to what we would do if we had to do it all over again here in a second. Now, when you have cash flow coming in, the other thing we strongly suggest is that you look into dividend-paying securities. Understand the power of compounding interest. For example, 100000 invested when you were 40 is 200000 when you were 47, 400000 when you're 54, 800000 when you're 61, 1.6 when you're 67, 3.2 when you're 74, 6.4 when you're million, when you're 81, 12.8 when you're 88, if you give a shit about it at that point, 25 million when you're 95. Everyone you leave behind will be thrilled that you were able to sock that money away. Now, that's assuming a lot of different variables, I know, but still, generally speaking, that's how compounding interest works. It's what is often referred to as what the eighth wonder of the world. All right, so compounding interest is calculated by multiplying the initial principal by uh, one plus the annual interest rate raised by the number of compounding periods minus one, if you guys want to know the analytics behind it. All right, moving forward. What we would suggest you invest your money in is a three-fund – this is the simplest, easiest way to understand how to invest your money. You guys open up an Ameritrade account, and then uh, I want you to go to – remember I said this, Google Bogleheads or Bogleheads. I know it sounds crazy, but trust me, three-fund portfolio. And what you're going to discover is that um, there's a guy named Jack Vogel who basically started a little company called uh, Vanguard, and essentially his investment thesis is proven out to be one of the most powerful known to mankind. So much so that when you look to see what the, the securities are that make up the three funds that people suggest you invest in, you'll see that a lot of hedge funds and mutual funds and everybody else – when you go to a money manager, sometimes the money manager is just going to the components that are in those three funds, and they're copying what yeah, essentially is the three-fund uh, portfolio. So here's some ticker symbols for you guys. Vanguard Total uh, Stock Market Index Fund, VTSAX. Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund, which is VTIAX. Vanguard Total Bond Market Fund, which is VBTLX. That essentially is about, I think that's the current um, breakup of the three-fund portfolio. I want you to research this yourself. I'm not going to drill down on this. I'm not going to talk about this a lot. It's really important you understand that you have to ultimately be responsible for your own financial future. And I want to emphasize what I just said because it's critically important. Your accountant is not going to make you rich. Your money manager is not going to make you rich. Nobody is going to make you rich but you. If you think somehow magically rich people have access to some like deep well of people that are going to give them all the secret advice on how to build and accumulate wealth, you are wrong. We look for those people. We still look for those people, but they do not exist. 
The way that wealthy people basically get their wealth and the way they hold their and keep their wealth are almost always two different things. What do I mean by that? You're going to make your money from your seven different lead generation spokes. Maybe you're going to have a, a lead generation spoke that's going to be obviously selling real estate. Maybe you're going to have a lead generation spoke, which is going to be your rental properties. Maybe you're going to have a lead generation spoke, which is going to be your, um, your dividend-paying index funds. Maybe you're going to have a lead generation spoke, which is you investing in other businesses. Maybe, you guys get the point? You're going to come up with different things. Now, if you never get to seven, who cares? It'll be better than just having had one, right? So if I say seven, you might end up with three or four. If I said you just have you know, two, you'll end up with one. So you set the bar a little bit high. That way you can overachieve what you normally have done had you just basically set it to the, your normal standard. Following me on this, I knew a guy who um, Julie and I were fortunate enough to mentor us that we met at Howard Britton. And he, had, and he basically was a farm boy from Indiana, and he and his wife, both, you know, we're in real estate business, and they bought and, and flipped basically farmland. That's what they did in Indiana. And they got so efficient at it, they made so much money from it that they actually became billionaires. And he owned part of the Florida Marlins. He owned uh, gas and oil lines coming out of Canada. He tried to sell us a natural gas line coming out of Canada. Um, uh, he owned a huge forest, get this, guys, of walnut trees. He told me about this huge forest of walnut trees that he owns in Canada, and he said he has a problem with people sneaking into the forest and slack-cutting his walnut trees, so much so that they had to put alarms on the walnut trees so that if essentially it picked up some frequency of a saw or something. I don't remember the whole thing. I learned so much from him, and I remember asking him the simple question, how did you get started? How did you build all this? Because Julie and I are from Ohio. He's from Indiana. I mean, there's got to be, you know, we had to have had some at least shared DNA. And he said, I saved, we started saving 10% of every check, and we put it away, and then we went through a process of paying off all of our debt. We kept our overhead low. We kept on saving money as we increased our income. We started by income-producing assets. It's exactly what I just told you guys over the past five shows. We did what he did. He did what other people did. You can do the same thing. Even if you're starting out with a low basis, what the main thing you have to remember in your real estate business is you have to get your uh, ability to easily and effortlessly list homes mastered. That's the first job, becoming a powerful listing agent. If you skip that step, if you buy off into the fantasy that you can buy your way to success, you will never be able to even have these conversations and thoughts because you'll never have enough free cash flow. You'll never make any profit. So it all starts with you having a very profitable core business, and from that you can buy and, and start you know, creating other assets that will produce in incomes for yourself. I mean, Julie and I were thinking about investing in some Orange Theories. You know, there's no orange theories in Puerto Rico. So we were thinking about, well, that might be an interesting business. These are, you can start taking bigger risks as you have more cash flow. But I have to tell you guys, Julie and I started out with less than no money, and now we're multimillionaires, and now we have multiple sources of income. And when the revenue comes in digitally, and yes, we still receive checks from people, that's kind of a cool thing. It's not for the sake of us sitting around thinking about how much money we have. It's cool because we get to see the fruits of our past labors and say, thank you, past Tim and Julie. That's what we say to ourselves. Here's a rent check from a property we bought 20 years ago, you know, that we paid off, you know, 20 years ago. And it's like, thank you, past Tim and Julie, for actually having done that. Now, I said, now, let me just go through these last two points, and I'm going to talk to you guys about the point I made earlier about rental properties, because I know a lot of you have raised eyebrows over that, what I said. Here's part five, and this is really important. 
Um, this is very advanced, but this is very simple to understand. You're, once you start acquiring assets, you guys need to go into wealth protection mode. And this is what you do. You basically have to, and I'll tell you exactly what to do. Google this yourself. Google Nevada Spendthrift Trust. You don't have to be a resident of Nevada. You just research it yourself. You need to start putting your assets in a spendthrift trust. And I'm going to let you explore that on your own. Many of you are not even close to having that as a relevant uh, thing that you have to do in your life right now, but some of you will get there eventually. And when you start acquiring assets, remember I told you this, you need to put all your assets in a corporation, and then you need to put all your uh, assets, the uh, corporations, into a Nevada spendthrift trust. I understand Alaska also has a very good spendthrift trust structure, but most states have terrible trust structures. You also need to make sure if you're in a state that has uh, like you need to protect your personal residence. Make sure you're claiming homestead. But homestead laws in every state but Texas are terrible. So, again, explore all of this because then that what happens is, is you become um, essentially your assets are protected. So you then have created a pathway to create legacy money just beyond yourself. What many agents do is they have great incomes, but they do not produce any – they have never accumulated enough profit in order to basically have the ability to accumulate any assets. For those of you who do decide to do this, remember I told you that. Nevada Spendthrift Trust and protect your assets because the wealthier you become, the more of a target you become, and the more of a, frankly, opportunity for people to think they can get money out of you. But if you have all your assets protected, then you really have much, not much to worry about. All right. And then when you have excessive cash flow, go back and reinvest it. Our advice, after you've got a, you know, essentially accomplished all the previous goals, after you've got your stakes in the freezer, after you have your, you know, your cash on hand, and we even suggest gold, after you have your different spokes producing income, follow the steps that we laid it out for you. And then when you have excess cash beyond that, you can do whatever you want to with it. We suggest you, you know, obviously you can donate money along the way, but maybe at that point when you're that, essentially, when you have that many sources of income, when you are essentially rich, where you don't just have one source of income producing enough money for you that you don't have to worry about your personal overhead anymore, you have multiple sources, then at that point you really do, if you want to, you know, donate to a hospital or build a church or, you know, feed you know, pygmies in the Congo, whatever it is you want to do, go for it. But make sure you take care of yourself and your family first before you give away your profits, okay? Just remember I told you that because when you're old and gray, you're going to wish you would have. Now, I want to talk to you guys about what I said about rental properties, and here's really what um, – this is a personal thing, but it's also a true thing, and it needs to be said. So Julie and I have been married for almost 30 years. And we've, you know, you guys, most of you guys know us, we're longtime friends and coaching clients. But the bottom line is, is we've been accumulating rental properties. We bought our first rental property when we were in, our first property when we were still in uh, college. So uh, I don't think, and Julie would say there's no way we would, had we had what I'm about to tell you available to us back then, we would have done, uh, we would have bought any rental properties. Because I just gave you the math on it. For you to produce 10000 in rental properties nowadays, you're going to have to be, and that's 10000 net. That's assuming they're all rented. That's assuming there's no expenses against them. That's assuming there's no vacancies. That's assuming there's no refrigerators that are broken. We just had a basement flood in one of ours back in Ohio. You guys get the point here, right? It always is going to, rental properties are not a passive investment. Had we had to do it all over again, and we were 20, you know, we just got married. Julie was 20. I was 21. And we are getting into real estate in a couple years after that. We would have absolutely focused our best energies on EXP revenue share. And here's why. 
I have never seen anything like eXp's revenue share in the 20 plus. I've been, I can't make anything clearer than I already have. You can produce passive income from the eXp revenue share that is, will make re- buying rental properties, frankly, a little bit dubious. Now, the nice thing about that is if you, once you've got enough money coming in off your eXp revenue share that's covering your personal overhead, and then you could start uh, using your real estate commissions and your other spokes that you create along the way, then you could start buying rental properties. But I would not do it the other way around. And maybe you don't buy rental properties at all. Maybe you just skip that step and you go right to securities and start buying into the three-fund portfolio. You start buying into other businesses. But the eXp revenue share, if you you guys are not aware of it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want you to text the word EXP to 31996. Just text the word EXP to 31996. There's a simple seven-minute video that's going to walk you through how it works, but it really is the retirement plan that many of you don't have that you desperately need, and you need it now. It is the opportunity for you. That's the cool thing about EXP. It's the reason Julie and I aligned with them about a year ago. Because they, as soon as you become an agent with EXP, you instantly have access to multiple uh, sources of income. That's up to you whether or not you actually want to exercise those opportunities. But you have real estate commissions. They have an incredible opportunity for you to purchase stock at a discount. They award you stock for various things that you do in the business, and you have revenue share. So there's not been a brokerage that I've ever seen, or really a business for just normal Joes and Josephines like we are, like you guys are, to accumulate wealth as fast and as assuredly just through your normal daily actions as the XP goes. Agents are normally the low man on the totem pole if they even get invited to the party, right? But with EXP Revenue Share, you guys are at the top of the totem pole. You guys are owners in the company because you'd literally be owners in the EXP because it's an own, it's agent-owned brokerage. This has never happened before. This is the reason EXP is growing by – I don't even know what percent. It's incredible. I mean, they started this year with 16,000. They're going to end the agents nationwide and in, in Canada. This year they're going to end with close to 30,000, and they've expanded to Australia and England. Um, the revenue share – let's just be honest, is a big part of it because it creates a source of income. And just to put this in perspective, for you, I say, I'll say this for the third time, for you to produce $10,000 a month in passive income from paid-off rental properties, which is the path that many of you have in your minds that none of you will do because it requires so much money, you'll have to have $1.75 million in cash which that's after taxes, which means you'll need roughly, let's say, 2.25 or 2.3, depending on your tax bracket. How long in cash? How long is it going to take for you to earn that amount of money after all your fixed business and personal expenses? Seriously, I want you to think about that. The answer is 99% of you will never in a billion years be able to do that. So the probability of you being able to accumulate um, enough cash to buy rental properties that you can live off the cash flow, assuming your cost of a month of cost of, uh, is 10000 the probability of you being able to do that is zero. So the only other alternative, if you want to stay on the rental property portfolio path, is to buy these, put mortgages on them, and wait for the tenants to pay them off. But you're not going to get cash flow on these things until you're basically old. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I'm not, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's a hell of a lot better than having never purchased any. But wouldn't you rather have the money when you can actually enjoy it, when you can spoil your family and your, you know, whatever else you want to do with it? Doesn't that make more sense? That's the reason the XP revenue share thing is so enticing to so many agents, and it's going to continue to uh, for you know, generations to come because it creates the ultimate source of passive income for agents. 
So I want you to text the word EXP to 31996. And for those of you who'd like to talk with me directly, let's say you're more, e, you're more than EXP curious, you're EXP urgent, you want information now, I want you to feel confident, uh, comfortable and confident texting me directly to my cell phone, and let's start the conversation. 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. But uh, look, on our way to acquiring the number of properties that we've acquired, Julie and I have had to sacrifice much. We had to make decisions based on the accumulation of these properties because our goal was to effectively be retired by the time we were 40. Julie's a year younger than me. We did accomplish the goal, but let me tell you, I don't think I would have – I definitely – we definitely wouldn't have done it had we had EXP revenue share as an option versus buying rental properties. It's simply for the fact that it took too long and it took too much sacrifice. We, for the exception of four of the properties that we own, and we own dozens, we paid cash. And we bought a lot during the recession, so we were able to get them a, a pretty substantial discount. But we had to pay cash. We had to save up the money, which means we did not go on vacations, which means we lived way under our, you know, uh, we, we could have lived in bigger, fancier houses, which means we could have done all kinds of things that we probably, had we not had that quest, we probably would have had more children. I'm telling you guys the honest-to-God truth. But because we wanted to be have the option of being rich where our money worked for us, we no longer worked for our money, and we wanted that in our, you know, essentially our, I was going to say younger years, if you want to call your 40s your younger years, which I do, and so we could enjoy it in good health, so we could enjoy it with our, you know, our daughter and our, our family and all the rest of it. That's what our goal was. We accomplished it. But in retrospect, this was before EXP was around, right? I'm 49. So, yeah, I mean, basically, by the time we were ready to retire, EXP was on the scene. <laughs> had we had EXP in our lives back in our formidable years in our 20s, and we understood it like we understand it now, no way we would have bought rental properties. We wouldn't have, and we would have had a hell of a lot more fun along the way. We would have earned the same amount of money, but opposed to just squirreling it away in some little house in Clintonville, Ohio, we would have been having more fun, gone to Europe, gone on a safari, donated more money to various charities. Who knows what we would have done? You guys get the point? You need to take this seriously no matter how old you are and no matter what stage of your career you're in because this, in my opinion, EXP Realty, especially from the reasons I've stated, is the last best opportunity of our professional lifetimes. Now, if you're in your early 20s, maybe even mid-20s, there might be some other things that come along down the road over time. But for now, for a bulk of us, for virtually all of you listening, I would strongly suggest you take this as seriously as you possibly can. You can text the word EXP to 31996, or if you're ready to join, if you're absolutely serious, text me directly at 512-758-0206. All right, guys, we did it. <laughs> we got through all of it, and I know it was a lot. Hopefully this is information that you're going to be able to reference back, and you're going to be able to use this in good health. Again, the goal wasn't to give you complete, comprehensive, everything you need to know, uh, answers to all these things. The goal was to set a path for you, at least lay the breadcrumbs, and for you to reference back to this as you ascend your own path. This path that we just laid out for you is the best one that I know over the last five shows we laid out for you is the best one that we've discovered, and this is the very plan that I wish we would have had back when we got started. It's the one that we prescribed to all of our coaching clients, and now we're sharing it with all the podcast listeners. So guys, take this seriously. Reference back to this. 
Um, if you know, go back and listen to the past shows. Write down the little keywords that I got that I gave you guys so you can research it yourself. Please don't text me or email me asking me for you know send me a link to Vanguard or silly things like that. Use this super secret website called Google and do your own homework. Okay, this is how I learned. This is how you should further learn because you're going to need to use your own brain to make your own decisions. Because like I said, there is nobody out there that's going to be a true wealth advisor. You have to be your own wealth advisor. You have to be your own financial advisor because as we said on the first show, nobody really wants you to be rich. Everybody basically wants you to stay dependent. And by everybody, I mean everybody. So if your quest is to be financially independent, ultimately you cannot delegate that. You cannot expect to hire someone to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Trust me on this, listeners. If you guys need us for anything, you can text me directly, 512-758-0206. In the meantime, thank you for making this and keeping this the number one listen to daily podcast for agents in the nation. We really, really love the opportunity to have any kind of influence on all of you. It really does make us feel unbelievably good knowing that we're having some impact to some people somewhere, knowing that we're making your journey up the mountain just a little bit easier. If there's ever anything we can do for you, you guys know how to find us. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.